Hello and welcome to Climate Avengers. My name is Alina Folks, your guide and host as we discover how founders and investors are moving the needle on climate change. I'm talking with individuals who are proving that people and planet are compatible with scalable, investable businesses. I know what that means firsthand. My entire career has been in climate, and I've been through a traditional Fortune 200 company, and I've founded a climate tech company, Utility API. I raise capital for it from angels and venture firms, as well as non-dilutive capital. I also worked with Tesla and scaled operations globally. Elon told me good job. Now, I show people how to make money and save the world at the same time. Over the past couple of years, I've been digging into investing in this space and exploring opportunities to deploy capital and invest capital and make that capital grow and also save the planet. And these are the stories that need to be told because it is possible that you can do both. You can make money and save the world at the same time. So you know, by listening here, you are now a Climate Avenger. Avenge the climate with us. Welcome in. Today, we have Brittany Chibi and Ann Palermo talking about their company, Aquaculture Foods. And just to get started, if you could introduce yourself and then we'll get into the company. So Brittany, can you just give us a quick introduction about yourself? Yeah, so um, I am the co-founder and chief growth officer at Aqua. So I've been in the food industry for the last 15 years, you know, worked in big food for about 10 years, left to start my own CPG company, grew that to successful exit in six years. And during that journey actually came to met my now co-founder, Anne, and her and I got together in 2020 to found Aqua. Fantastic. And Anne? Yeah. So my name's Anne Palermo. I'm CEO and co-founder of Aqua. So my background, I started my career, I was in finance. I was at Morgan Stanley. I was at a hedge fund. I was at Bank of Montreal, but I was just always really passionate about health and wellness in particular, and always wanted to start my own company. So I decided to go back to school to learn food science, food tech, and culinary innovation. And after that, I went ahead and I took the leap and I started my first company. It was in the CPG space, food and beverage in particular. At this place, I started off as pure chocolate, but then pivoted a little bit more to a healthy snacking platform that really aligned with my own personal beliefs of clean eating, better for you foodstuffs and better for you products. But in order to really carry out the mission of that, I wanted to focus on having products that were very minimally processed. And so that's when I started to understand more about the importance of alternative proteins and the benefits of fermentation enabled proteins and the minimal process nature of those proteins. So once I started that, it really looked into what's going on in our global community. And we can share more about this a little bit later, but that was pretty much the, the pivot or the leap or the, the excitement that got me to decide that I wanted to focus more on a mission focused business. Fantastic. Thank you. And just for context for everyone, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the company. So what is the company? What are you building? And take it away. So here at Aquacultured Foods, we are creating fermentation-enabled whole cuts of seafood alternatives. And what that really means is that through a very simple novel process, novel technology, we're growing products that have the ability to replicate or replace seafood on a one-to-one -one basis 
meaning that we've really nailed the taste texture of these products. And at commercial scale, we're going to be able to undercut the price even of traditional seafood. And the reason that this is so game changing is because most of the parts of the world are really focused on finding healthful, delicious products that they can actually afford to eat. And a lot of products in the alternative space are quite expensive. And in fact, they really are charged at a premium to traditional proteins, which is causing a bit of a hurdle when it comes to the total overall adoption of these proteins. And so the fact that we're able to have such a fantastic product that also has a value proposition is really, really exciting. I think people in general know and understand that the way we're eating today is not sustainable. However, until we're able to provide them with truly better for you products that are convenient to purchase and affordable to purchase, um, it's going to be a little bit of a hurdle in order to achieve that mass adoption. And why seafood? There's been a lot of attention on meat or land-based meat products. Why was it seafood for you? The real reason why seafood for me, and I know Brittany and I both have slightly different reasons of whys, but they're very much aligned with the same general why seafood. So I'll let her share her story after I share mine a bit. But what's going on globally with seafood in particular is that it has the most insecure supply chain out of all of them. What we're seeing is that climate change and massive overfishing is causing the depletion of our oceans of all marine and aquatic life to such a point that it's being um, quite challenging for it to replicate and regenerate itself. Uh, What we're seeing is about 90% of all wild fisheries are overfished. 170 countries have unmet demand for seafood. And so part of the reason that there's so much unmet demand for seafood is not only because we're emptying our oceans, but it's because of population booms. We just hit 8 billion people born on the earth in November, last November. We're positioned to get about 10 billion people on this earth in about 30 years. And most of these individuals are born in Asia and China, uh, specifically China and Southeast Asia. And what we're seeing is that in this part of the world, 70% of all seafood is consumed. In fact, 50% of the world's seafood is consumed in China alone. So with massive population booms, there will, of course, be massive increase in demand for their number one protein source. However, overfishing and climate change, as I mentioned, is emptying our oceans. And so until we have a product that is in market at a price that you can afford that is delicious enough in order to excite the consumer to not only try it, to repeat purchase it, there's going to be a potential for some issues when it comes to how we're going to feed the world sustainably. So I think that was my my personal major why. So I started, you know, using the resources and all that knowledge and just having been in the industry for quite some time to really put my energy and attention on creating an exciting and, and valuable like version one product. And then at that point is when, you know, I decided it was a real viable business. And out of excitement and exuberance, I asked my dear friend, Brittany Chibi here to co-found the company with me. And it has been an exciting journey. So I really want to give her the opportunity to share her reason why. It's really exciting. I think when you look at our product, it just inherently looks like seafood. Yes, there's a lot of companies out there working on alternatives for beef and chicken and pork. And seafood really is this damaged supply chain and a complete white space. It's ripe for disruption. 
And so when you think about like, what are the opportunities for growth in this space? It is within seafood, right? And seafood is just a massive market. And when you look at our product, it has that translucency, that glisten, that sheen, the slip, the snap, and it just looks and has the texture of seafood. And I remember the first time Anne showed me a picture of what she was growing. I was like, is that a scallop? Like what? (laughs) It looks so much like a scallop. Texturally, it's very similar to a scallop too. And the fact that we can tune taste and textures and nutrition is really exciting. And for me, why I was initially excited about starting this company with Anne was because um, I'm a diver. So I started diving in 2017. And as soon as I got my PADI certification, I flew to Australia to dive the Great Barrier Reef. And going into that trip, everyone I spoke to that had had dove there said, well, you know, you're really not going to see a lot because the corals are bleached and this and that. And I thought, you know, what does that even mean? I couldn't wrap my head around the thought of, you know, bleaching coral. I went and dove for three days in cans and it was just so sad because literally you don't see anything. You see dead corals. There's no fish life. There's no aquatic life. There's really not much there compared to other parts of the world that I've dove. And it's something that just weighed really heavy on me. And I I started to think about, you know, what can I do? Like, what am I doing as an individual, as a consumer to help reverse the impact that humans have had on our planet? And, you know, me switching from using single use plastic makes like this much difference, right? It's not I, I can't make a significant difference, unfortunately, as one person. It takes it takes bigger companies, bigger ideas. And so, you know, I started going on the spiral of learning as much as I could, you know, reading, watching documentaries, trying to understand what can I do. And when Anne and I reconnected during the pandemic, she started to talk about this idea and showed me pictures. And I thought, wow, you know, like I had a thriving business, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to change the world selling grain-free snacks, right? Like this is an opportunity where we can make significant impact, not only to feed a growing population with a really sustainable food source and nutrient dense, dense food source, but also to reverse the impact we've had on our oceans and allow them to thrive and repopulate and really offer an alternative to seafood. You know, we certainly aren't looking to displace an industry or, put people out of jobs, but really to be able to educate consumers on what's happening and be able to offer an alternative to those people that are looking to make a similar impact that we're looking to make. I always appreciate the the whys. I've only spent a little bit of time in the water and just seeing the limited amount of life down there, even through like a snorkel is just stunning. And I can only imagine um, seeing the bleached corals. So getting to your solution, what is your beachhead market and consumer? Because Anne, you mentioned China, and that is a whole beast of its own. And I know that I studied China. I lived there for a bit. I built a factory for Tesla there. But I'm curious about, you know, where does that beachhead? And then where do you go with the consumer or when you do get to scale and the lower price point? Yeah. So for us, this is very much a global company. It's very, very much a global corporation. We plan on being the, you know, world supplier for alternative seafood products. Um, and so in order to do that, we really do have to have a global touch and global network. However, our plan is to focus first on the U.S. It's, 
you know, our home market, it's where we are, it's where our current production is, it's where our scientific and technological advancements are all being made and discovered. And so it really makes sense for us to focus on the U.S. And so how we're planning to do that within the U.S. is by first really making sure that we have the best product possible and that we're reaching out to the consumers that are most likely to consume these products. And so what we've been doing in order to do that is really focus on the flexitarian consumer. And so the reason that the flexitarian consumer is so key to the future of this type of company is because they're already consuming the meat and the the beef and the chicken and, of course, the seafood that we are replicating. And so in order to win over a seafood eating consumer who's already eating seafood, we have to really replicate that experience as closely as possible because they're not going to compromise when it comes to taste. They're not going to compromise the texture. They're not going to compromise the eating experience. And so in order to really get the mass adoption that we need in order to make an impactful difference, we have to make sure that we nail all these. So for us, we've been doing um, a lot of internal studies and we've been doing a lot of external panels as well in order to just really make sure that we've nailed that eating experience. And then our next step is going to be to go after food service accounts and select B2B accounts because um, the opportunity is really for seafood. It's in, in food service and in B2B as well. So after we've made sure that we have been able to meet the needs of these consumers, we are working on our scale up right now, and it's going to be allow us to make a significant volume of product for a pilot scale. But then after that, it's going to help us to make sure that we've locked down all of our technology for a potential contract manufacturer or joint venture agreement with a corporate strategic in order to enter into new markets. Because as we've mentioned before, seafood is very much an international consumed product or consumed protein. And so for us, for Aqua's future growth and for just like the ability to move forward with our mission of feeding the world sustainably and saving our oceans while doing it, we're going to need to tackle that international market and, um, you know, Japan, China, bring these products to the seafood eating consumers. So then are you starting with direct-to-consumer first for that initial deployment and then going to more the B2B side of things? I guess it's a how do you define direct-to-consumer? So for me, I, I think of direct-to-consumer as selling on our website, right, and, and, and launching to consumers and shipping it to their homes. But more B2B2C, I guess, would be a better way to say it. So selling to you know, the distributors of the world to get our product into restaurants for, you know, consumers to order off of a menu. And so when we're thinking about our launch today, it's, you know, we need branding, we need to have really strong positioning and create just a really craveable, delicious brand so that once where our product is in restaurants, we can direct consumers to go there, right, and order like the aqua tuna roll or the aqua scallop. Not only are we marketing to end consumers and educating them on alternative seafood and what does that mean, but also, you know, the focus is selling to chefs and restaurant owners and distributors because it has to flow through that supply chain in order to get it on consumers' plates. Just out of curiosity, this is something I've always wondered with the meat and seafood or like protein alternatives. I imagine making the actual like filet or something that would be acceptable for sushi would be very challenging to make because of all of the different sensory experiences. But then when I think about, say, getting a shrimp dumpling 
and having that type of experience, it's already kind of all smushed up inside of a little, little nice pocket. I guess, why do you go after that pristine, beautiful piece of fish? Or even if like a shrimp, a shrimp goiza, a shrimp dumpling, maybe it has half real shrimp, half of seafood alternative. Can you kind of talk me through like those different things that I'm talking about there? I'm not really sure what that is, but if the world reduces their seafood consumption by half and you guys fill in that other half, I consider that a victory as well. The reason that we're going after both of these opportunities is because people like to enjoy seafood in many different ways. So the reason that we're going after, for example, the sushi market is because our product, it really highlights the product and what we were able to create with these whole cut pieces. Plus also it is, it's more of a celebratory occasion dish. And when we have product available to us on a more limited quantities, it makes a little bit more sense to go after the high-end market because it's, it's not as big. Customers are willing to pay a little bit more for something and it's just supply and demand. It makes sense for us to target those markets. Plus it just showcases our product in its most pure, beautiful, true form. And there's something to be said about highlighting a product in, in a way that showcases its uniqueness. And that is part of the reason why we're starting off with the sushi, with the crudos, with the ceviche and the poke, just those beautiful rock hull cut pieces and showcases that the product's unprocessed, pure and clean. Now, when it comes to our dumplings, part of the reason that we are targeting dumplings as well is because it has the opportunity to really enter the market in a mass market and make major impact. Just the amount of dumplings that are consumed on a daily basis, it's more significant impactfully speaking. Um, it's just a larger market than it is for sushi, at least in the U.S., um, not saying that that's how it is internationally, but it's a significant market. And so being able to showcase the product in like a cooked form and a dumpling and a minced product just allows us to have a little bit more of a mainstream market approach. I'll never forget when, um, so our very first products that we created and literally are doing this in Anne's kitchen was a popcorn shrimp. And then we made a calamari fry and we were, I mean, we were taped getting, you know, chefs to try it, investors to try it, like our very early investors and everyone loved it. And people were saying like, why, why are you guys covering it in a breading? Like, why are you hiding what you're doing? Cause we're really the only ones that are making these really beautiful, like authentic looking whole cuts, right? Like we're not extruding our product. We're not adding gums and starches and squishing it all together to form something. Like we're literally growing this in slabs and it can stand on its own. It doesn't have to be hidden in a breading system or in a thick batter. And so I think hearing that again and again, we kind of shifted our direction of, okay, we do have something really special and we do have something that resembles seafood incredibly well. Why, why hide it? You know, like why not let it stand, stand on its own and serve it as a, a sushi, like a sashimi or nigiri or in a ceviche or poke bowl. And so once we made that mind shift and we really started to play up what makes our product so special, I think put us on this trajectory of, you know, let's go after this, these raw applications and with that, you know, sharing pictures about our product and talking about it with people, we started to get interest from a lot of these large multinational players because they could see sort of this platform we're, we're building and the versatility of it and what we can do. And I think 
I think people and, and I say people like consumers and I think, you know, businesses as well are kind of getting tired of the overly processed, you know, laundry list of ingredients, products that have to be in a breading system in order to taste good. Makes sense. Thank you. So, and you say you're a lifelong entrepreneur. Why do you say that? I honestly, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really have an answer to that. I've never been asked why I consider myself just like a born entrepreneur, but I think it was just not afraid of risk, not a trait, not afraid of failure. And on the flip side, not afraid of success either. I've always been really good at recognizing patterns. And so because of that, I've always been able to really find and identify very unique market opportunities and come up with really great ideas. And ever since I was really young, I was always coming up with different ideas and problem solving. And I think that's just perhaps to an extent how my mind works. And so I don't really think there was ever any question as to whether I'd start something. I was never afraid of it. Um, I was always excited by it. And I think that is really part of the reason why for me, I always knew that I was going to move forward with something. What makes Aqua different though, is the fact that there's so much opportunity for impact and mission and making the world better than how we found it. And I think that having a true passion and driving force towards making the world better gets you more excited and makes every day a little bit better than it was the previous day because we can see the result and the potential for life-changing opportunities for so many people across the, across the world. Just being able to touch that many people in such a significant way as like basic nourishment is is a reason for being, I would say. Well, thank you. And Brittany, what about your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I love I love what you just said, Anne. I feel like we need to write that down and put it on our, <laughs> our office wall somewhere. <laughs> um, so, oh my God, for me, so um, I was that kid that like made lemonade and like made bracelets and like sold them on my street when I was a kid in the summer, like in summer. But I mean, I started my entrepreneur career very early. So I actually started a painting company uh, my freshman year of college, essentially paid my way through school by doing that. So I literally would go door to door, knocking on people's homes, asking them if I could give them a quote to paint their house, booked all the work during the spring semester. And I would come home in the summers and hire painters and produce all the jobs that I booked that that spring beforehand. And probably made way too much money that a college student should, but um, put myself through through undergrad that way. And then, you know, I went into, into corporate um, right out of undergrad. I was with a global dairy company. I spent 10 years with them and I adore and love that company and the people that I worked with. I feel like I grew up there. You know, I started with them when I was 21 and really felt like I grew up in that company and learned everything and built my network and made just really strong life connections and bonds. But at the same time, I always felt like I was in handcuffs, right? There's so much red tape and there's so much politics and so much, you know, I had to sell things internally before I could do anything with my customers. And that was really tough for me. Um, just to kind of watch opportunities slip away because my business wasn't moving quick enough. And so when I went um, back to school for my MBA, I started a tech company there. I ended up optioning a predictive analytic technology from the Department of Energy Lab. So Oak Ridge National Labs 
um, has a tech transfer office that I worked with. And, you know, I scoured through all of their tech and said, I think this is really cool and interesting. So I built a company around this tech that was basically sitting on a shelf. And it was all about how can we detect and forewarn damage in civil infrastructure? So things like bridges and pipelines and buildings and bridges are actually like fun fact, they're not very good in the US. Like we've had many bridges fail and most are rated like a D or an F throughout the country. And so we were looking at how can we prevent these collapses from happening? So I built a company around this tech. I raised a little bit of seed funding for it by competing in business plan competitions. And I was competing in the rice competition, the rice business plan competition and found there was better tech already in the market. So that was like, okay, we're done. Like we're dissolving this or somebody else doing it better. But that was sort of the catalyst to say, you know what, like I can do this, you know, I, I should and can and have the network and the knowledge to start my own business. Um, and what I knew was food, right? I knew food best from spending time there. So after I dissolved this tech company, I graduated, then decided I'm going to start my first food business. And so I built a grain-free snack company from my home kitchen, grew it into about 1,500 grocery stores. I had a couple of different contract manufacturers and grew the business in the retail channel. And then I sold that company two years ago. And I think what, you know, when you ask about like, what was the catalyst to go full time with Aqua? It's funny because when Anne reached out to me during like that first summer of the pandemic, I went to that coffee meeting with her with the intention to ask her to join me in my business because I was so burnt. I mean, being a solo founder is so hard and I don't think people talk about it enough, but being a solo founder in a really tough industry, like food is very tough. Margins are very slim. Competition is vast. And when you're in a category, like I was in the the snack category and the cereal category, you're competing with all the big food companies like General Mills and Kellogg's and Post and Quaker. And it's very tough space. It's really hard to make money. And like, no one really talks about it. You know, I was six years into that journey and I was doing it all alone. I outsourced everything like production, distribution, sales, and Anne reached out and I thought, you know what, maybe this is it. Like I need a business partner. She knows food. She's going to be great. Like, let's ask her to like join me on this journey. And so I literally went to this meeting and I asked Anne like, Hey, what do you think about being my co-founder? Like, here's my path forward with this business. Here's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And she flat out told me no. (laughs) She's like, I've got something else I've been working on. And she's like, I wasn't going to tell you, but here's what I've been doing. And she started to talk about alternative proteins. And I thought, what are you talking about? Like, this is so out there. And so I got all excited. And like, if Anne can sell a vision, like she can sell a dream. And I absolutely love it. Um, so she started talking about the problems and right, like the population and the planetary health and kind of what's happening in this alt protein world that I truthfully knew nothing about. And so I thought, well, this is really cool. Like I want to learn more. Let's talk again soon. So I went home and I'm Googling like alternative proteins and what does this all mean? And I asked Anne, I wanted, you know, I was like, I want to try it. Like, I want to see it. I want to try it. She sent me some photos and I thought this is really cool. Like we can make a major impact here. And the thought of having a business partner was really intriguing to me because up to this point in time, I had only ever done it alone. And so the thought of like 
another female who has founder experience, who has food experience, who has this vision of creating global change. Like she thinks very big and very outside the box, which I love because I think more of like, how do we move the needle, right? Like day to day, what are we doing to to progress and push things forward. So I think you need both of that for a really solid business. And it was kind of this like perfect marriage of minds coming together. For me, it was sort of like, this is a great partner. This is a great idea. This is a great industry. There's this huge white space. It's ripe for disruption. And why not? You know, like I've taken all these gambles my whole life, like what's one more? And the fact that we could make something like a very impactful change and something that has weighed, I know, on both of our hearts for a long time. I think we would have been silly not to do it. So I think it was like a little a leap of faith and obviously very risky. But I think with that comes luck. I don't know. It's funny. No one really asked us that question. But looking back, it's like so grateful that we both took that leap and so grateful that Anne reached out to be like, hey, what are you up to these days? Because, you know, who knows where we'd be now if we hadn't. Exactly. I love that. And it was such an interesting time, right? With the pandemic. I love all the companies that are sprouting from it and all of the um, partnerships and growth that we're seeing, um, especially in climate tech startups. It's really caused a lot of people to reconsider what are they doing with their lives? We lived through a pandemic. Now what? What are you going to do? And you're you're living it. So that is just so wonderful to see. And, and thank you for sharing that. So because Climate Avengers is an investing syndicate and rolling fund, I would love to hear a little bit about your fundraising journey as well. If you could just talk me through what what stage was the company when you decided to start fundraising and what was that experience like? Yeah, so we started fundraising pretty early on in the journey, you know, coming from, you know, where Brittany and I are both multiple time founders and so we have a lot of really fantastic experience and lessons learned and just the way to do things that you wouldn't know unless you've done it before. And so having lived through that, we also knew we wanted to get funding right away. We thought it would be really important. We didn't want to be bootstrapping forever because when you're stuck in that that like scarcity mindset, it's really hard to break out. It's really hard to know what and where to spend your funds on. And to be honest with you, you know, Brittany and I are both like married. We both have grown up obligations and so mortgages. And so being able to fundraise allowed us to pay ourselves a little bit of money in the beginning to help us just focus our efforts on making this come true. And I think that for us, it was really important. So we did go ahead and we fundraised early on and we started our journey. We joined uh, we joined an accelerator and that was really great for us. It gave us a little bit more validation instantly and early on, which was, again, really helpful when it came to going on to the next round of fundraising. And which accelerator was that? So we we selected Big Idea Ventures Accelerator specifically because, you know, it was U.S.-based and it was based on CPG and specifically alternative proteins. And so it just made a lot more sense for us because we knew that the resources would be more focused on alternative proteins. And there's a lot of fantastic accelerators out there um, that are focused on many different things, some pure like like software and technology, others biotech technology. This one just worked really well because there was, you know, there was tech, there was food tech, there was biotech, but it was most specifically at the time alternative proteins. And so 
um, we went with them and it was great. It gave us um, the early validation that we needed in order, or really just that any company really needs in order to begin the fundraising journey. And so we did that and we raised, a re- you know, some pretty significant pre-seed funds, which allowed us to hit many milestones with our science tech and team, which then led into a really, really nice size um, seed round during the worst fundraising market, you know, in the last 20 years. So we've been really fortunate. But I think building a strong, viable business is you're always going to be able to fundraise as long as you can show how you're the right team, you're the right product. And as long as you're not overvalued, I think um, you'll have success. Right. And Anne, did you lead the fundraising side of things? We did. I would say Brittany and I did a lot of it together. We did. I, you know, that's part of the benefit of really having a co-founder that's also on the business side, a perfectly complementary side too, is that you can, it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, just the whole process. And we were speaking, we probably would have three different VC calls a day for months on end. And that is very, very draining. But the calls were all wonderful and good. And I, I think despite all the work, or maybe because of all the work, we had a really very positive fundraising experience in general. It is so draining. And the thought of like having to do that alone, like if you or I had to do all of that alone, there's there's just no way. So like I applaud founders who like one takes the charge on that because that it's it's exhausting right it's mentally exhausting like I remember so Ann and I <laughs> we fundraise all wrong like the last two summers we raised around so like summer of 20 was it summer of 2021 yes yeah, summer of 2021 we raised our pre-seed round summer of 2022 we raised our seed round so we had no summer because <laughs> yeah. literally it'd be like Monday to Friday, like 9 a.m. to probably like, God, 6, 7, so 8 o'clock. <laughs> like we'd be on call, like back to back to back to back to back calls because we, you know, we were, we were raising money not only from investors in the U.S., but also in Europe and in Asia. Like when you're talking to Singapore, they're 13 hours ahead of us in Chicago, or you're talking to South Korea or whoever, like you have to flex to be, you know, to have some type of conversation where you're where it's not in the middle of the night for one person or the other and so I mean I think we wore ourselves out nobody was hospitalized thank god (laughs) we're all good but it is exhausting and it's tiring and and thank god we had each other to go through that experience with because you know to be able to hang up from an investor call and then pick up the phone and call each other and be like hey like that went great. I love that you said this, or like, you know, next time let's do this. Or, you know, even during our pre-seed round, we, we learned so much because we were new at this fundraising thing. You know, we both bootstrapped our prior companies. And so this whole idea of pitching and getting investment was, you know, it was our first time doing it when we raised our pre-seed. And so it was interesting, like when we started the fundraising, we would start with the deck and it was a very like, you know, what you see when you Google how to, how to write a pitch deck or how to make a pitch deck, we followed that sort of process where it was like, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Here's what we're going to do. And here's why we're the team. And we just kept getting these questions of, of like, well, who are you? Why are you qualified to do this? You don't have a PhD. And so we took a pause and we were like, okay, why are we getting these questions? Like we've already done it. So we're therefore qualified. So why are we getting these questions? And so we flipped the pitch deck on its head and we said, we're starting with who are we? 
then what's the problem? Here's our solution. Here's the tech we're building around it and why it's going to be successful. And so I think by being able to have both of us on these calls and listen in, like Anna and I both hear different things, right? Like we pick up on different things and different nuances and different body language. And so to be able to come together and bring those thoughts together and kind of what we're hearing and seeing and saying, okay, well, like, let's hit a timeout and let's figure out how we're going to do this. And I kid you not, as soon as we, as soon as we flipped our pitch to say, you know, here's Ann Palermo and here's Brittany Chibi and here's what we're doing. We never got that question again. Nobody ever said, you know, who are you to do this or why are, what makes you qualified? So that was a huge lesson learned in our pre-seed round that we've since carried through with future rounds. I love that. Establishing credibility first. Yeah. I think through my deck and yeah, it was just that traditional thing and we received some pushback on that, but that's an interesting tidbit. It's taking that feedback from investors and rethinking it. I'm. It's amazing to hear that you did take that time to pause and reevaluate. You mentioned how exhausting fundraising is and it's exhausting for, for most founders. As you are in maybe borderline burnout situations, what do you do to take care of yourself and to make sure that you're able to come back and do this fight on a daily basis? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. When you got, when you find out, tell me because um, <laughs> it's not eating a plate of sushi. Like that's what I imagined. It's like, this is so good. I have to keep doing it. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out because I have never been very good with self-care. I'll be honest with you. I'm just not. And I feel like I need an external source to tell me it's okay to take like a nap in the middle of the day if I need one, but I, I won't, I just, I push myself really, really hard and it's not sustaining. It's not something that I will do forever, but I think I just need to one day it'll click and it'll be fine. But, um, I think it's just for me, really, I just love what we do. I love it. I believe in it and we're doing something special. We're making a huge impact a huge difference. And I think it's just in and of itself quite sustaining. And I just, you know, I love the people we work with and I love our VC partners and our customers. And it's just in a way being able to work with people that you really like doing something that you love is, is recharging in and of itself. So I hope everybody listening to this has the opportunity to have all the pieces kind of fit together like that. Just fantastic founder, fantastic team, fantastic venture partners and customers. And, and it'll, it'll make it, make itself work out, I guess. I don't know. It's so easy to forget about yourself. You know, like we're so wrapped up in the day to day and like, we care so much too about our team and like, how's everyone doing and what's going on and tracking goals. And it's so, so easy to put yourself last. Right. And then to go home and have all your responsibilities at home too. It's like the last thought is like, what am I going to do for myself today? So I don't know. That's, that's tough. I run. That's like my outlet. That's my like de-stressor of the day is like get all the aggression and thoughts and like things out from the day, just like hitting the pavement, but everyone's different. Everyone finds that thing that works for them. So I don't know. I think just being physical, moving the body, like when Anna and I are in the office together, it's like, let's go have a walking meeting and like walk to get a coffee. And like so much I think comes through being on your feet, right. And getting kind of like getting ideas or just getting out of the office and getting some fresh air is always really helpful. But 
um, I don't know what we're doing is so exciting. Like I love to wake up and just be like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get in the office. Cause I need to talk to this person about this and that person about that. And you know, it is, it keeps you going. So then you do have an office. Is it like downtown Chicago? Yeah, we're in uh, Fulton market. I'm not too familiar with like the tech scene there. I did undergrad and then I beelined it for the West coast. So I guess that's another question is so much Funding and capital goes to startups in Silicon Valley, in California, and there's a growing amount in New York. What has it been like or has you have you felt any disadvantage for being in the middle of the country, being in Chicago? You know, I think as far as disadvantage goes with being in Chicago, there's not as many VCs. And so I think that there are there are a lot of benefits to being in Chicago, but the disadvantage is definitely being so far away from other VCs. However, the benefits are really fantastic for food. You know, right here with all the big food, there's a lot of really fantastic tech talent. Um, salaries are a little bit lower, real estate and rental offices and the price to have our offices is lower so we can stretch out our runway um, is really significant. And so no matter where you are, or where you're located, there's always going to be pros and cons. Um, and so the cons being so far away from VC funding just means that we need to travel a little bit more in order to develop, develop those relationships. It seems like you were engaged with other continents anyway. There's no way you could be in all those continents all at once. So you, yeah. so it doesn't quite matter as much that you aren't in Silicon Valley since you're talking to every side of every ocean. Just because your product is something that you can eat, what is your favorite recipe or way to eat your product? Mine is our spicy tuna roll. It's just so delicious. That one is really amazing. That one's really amazing. Um, I'm re I've really been into our crudo, our scallop crudo lately. I love that one. A little bit of like spicy pepper on top. I think it tastes really special. But there's just a lot of things you can do with it. Is there a whole recipe book that you've put together, or is it more like just use it and sub it in for for salmon or scallops or whatever? You know, a recipe book would be fun, um, but I don't think either of us really have the bandwidth for that. Maybe some time in the future. So we're leaving most of that product development work up to our chef partners. So maybe we'll have them write a recipe book for us. Crowdsource it in and then just, just glue it together. <laughs> Your product, what is the shelf life of it? Do you treat it similar to fish in terms of spoilage and temperature control? Well, that's a great question. Our product has a really phenomenal shelf life. So right now it has around four to eight weeks shelf life, but we've been using and have eaten product that's significantly older than that. It's just, we haven't tested the product out older than that. So we don't know how it would um, maintain flavor over longer times. So when it is frozen, it'll have about a 12-month shelf life, which is similar to seafood. Um, it only loses about 10% moisture loss, which is, again, very similar to seafood and traditional seafood. But the refrigerated is where we really excel. We will maintain product quality for that eight weeks, very consistent, wonderful quality. So it's a real benefit, too, because what we're seeing and finding is that it helps to um, decrease the amount of waste in the restaurant industry, there is so much waste when it comes to seafood just because of that extremely short shelf life from when the product is caught to when it is processed to when it's finally in a restaurant door shelf. 
or even in grocery stores with, for example, the pre-made sushi counters, they only have a couple of days which they can sell it and then they have to toss it. So any amount of additional shelf life we are able to capture has a really like significant impact on decreasing waste and just lowering our footprint, our overall footprint. Perfect. Would you also consider doing like jerky type of things? So it is shelf stable long term. I'm thinking about those preppers out there that have a hard time having seafood in their prepping, you know, pantry. I'm just I'm imagining, you know, those little shreds of like squid from Asia. Can you do that? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Very cool. You know, we've never tried, but, you know, I, I don't see why not. Or if anything, maybe that would be a, an ingredient or a, a B2B partnership that we could do, too. So something like that sounds really, really interesting and neat. I think we're all for making that impact, but we also have to kind of maintain our focus, too, so that we don't get split up you know, just like too internally divided. Absolutely. What do you wish you had known sooner on this journey with Aqua? I wish that we knew sooner that the market was going to free fall like this. (laughs) 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 We all do. (laughs) Because then, yeah, maybe we would have switched up our runway or our, our, our our path that way. But that is just a silly little joke. Um, what we, what I wish I would have learned sooner is maybe just hiring a little bit faster, maybe in order to make sure that we just have a little spread the load out a little bit more. I think we've been able to accomplish a lot with a small team and that has been really exciting. And I think it's one of the reasons why we've been so um, able to move so fast is because we've just been really focused on the team that we have and just a bunch of really, really brilliant individuals that are subject matter experts that are really focused on the mission and we're all very aligned, which is great, but we're all doing so much. And so I think it may be allowing ourselves to bring on more people a little bit sooner could have helped. But in general, I think, I think everything that, that, and the way that it's happened has been really, really just right for us, just right for us. And it's kind of what it comes down to, I think. That's such a tough question, I feel like, because I don't know, we've been on such an exciting trajectory that it's not like, it's not like I wish I knew something sooner because I would change things that we've done, but maybe I wish I knew sooner just how long things would take. You know, like it took a year to find like our pilot facility. Like that's not ideal. You know, you thought it would take like three months. It takes, <laughs> it takes like six months to raise a round when you think like I'll, I'll be done in a month or two. Like everything just takes longer. Like hiring for a position takes longer. Like everything just takes longer than you think. Maybe it's not what I wish I knew, but maybe like giving yourself a little grace and a little bit of like, it's okay that things take longer. And you know, there's a reason for it. Like I, I feel like we operate with the belief that everything happens for a reason or if not, that's what helps you sleep at night <laughs> or get through the day. But I think just being like, knowing that, you know, not everything is going to line up as you think and, and hope it will. But at the end of the day, there's a reason for that and, and kind of trusting that and that process. And since you are a hardware company and you have an amazing facility, I'm sure, can you just kind of walk us through what it's like going through your facility? Like you walk through the door and like you have to put a lab coat on and like put your hair up and check out the little cultures. Like, tell me about that. Well, that would be really exciting and fun, but we're a little more laid back. And fortunately, I think part of the reason for that is we don't have to have a clean room. 
which is a huge benefit when you think about scale up and go into commercialization is we just don't need to have that level of um, not security, but it's just we don't require an official like biotech style clean room which allows us the ability to scale up very quickly and go to market and have commercialization and lower CapEx expenses, which will ultimately drive down our costs in general. So that's really exciting. But on a day-to-day basis, um, what we do and just like a walkthrough of our facility, we have it all divided up into three rooms. So we have the first floor of a facility in um, the West Loop of Chicago. And so we have it divided into our labs, our offices, and our manufacturing And what's so exciting on the manufacturing side is that we just completed the final build out of our fermentation chambers, our fermentation house internally. And so it's really, it's really nice. It's very, it's quite empty right now, but the great thing about it is it's, it's a, it's got really, it's got nice legs, you know, it's got, it's got nice bones or we're hopefully going to have some kind of ocean themed, (laughs) like, you know, kind of, kind of ocean themed or wave kind of theme to it when we start actually growing the product, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Just want to kind of make it a little bit, a little bit fun, a little bit special and a little bit, you know, futuristic, I guess you could say future of food. How about you, Brittany? What's your thoughts? Yeah. When you walk in our office, it's, (laughs) it's funny. There's a (laughs) boxing gym under like the floor below us. So when we walk in, the first thing we do is turn on music because otherwise you hear the speed bag of the boxing gym, like, like all, all day long. And of course, the boxing gym was not there when we moved in or when we were looking, touring the space, the handful of times we came before we signed the lease. So, you know, there's always those little fun surprises. But um, to Anne's point, like it's, it's not pharmaceutical grade. We're not, you know, SQF level three, where you're walking through like a foot bath and washing your hands and putting on the lab coat and hair nuts, et cetera. Like at commercial scale, it will get to that point. But today it's more of probably similar. Like if anyone's ever gone on like a tour of a brewery or have ever seen cheese making, it's, I guess, a little bit similar to that. And right now, fun fact we have a little nook in our building called the dungeon. Uh, it's the only quiet private space we have. And so that's where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> so you don't hear the the bag. You don't hear the bags. No. Cause it's like a brick, it's like brick walls all around me and like concrete floors. So I don't have to hear the, the boxing gym right here. <laughs> so amazing. Uh, do you get free membership to the gym? Have they taught you how to box? Uh, no, they have not. <laughs> You know, how but we rude. haven't asked either, so we should, we should, I, how rude, right? We should go down there and ask them. You could do a swap, we'll, we'll exchange, you know? We'll exchange, yeah, we'll exchange seafood for boxing lessons. <laughs> Sounds like a great team building experience. <laughs> I always like to ask, what do your families think that you are making seafood alternatives? What was their reaction when you were like, I'm going to go do this? My family is such a huge support. They love what we're doing. They love, you know, being a part of it. They love watching the progress and the momentum that we're getting. They love every time that we're mentioned in an article, I'll have extended family. You know, I I have extended family. Every time they see something, they'll forward me the link, be like, I don't know if you saw this, but which is the sweetest thing. And I love every second of it. And it's also so cute because like I'm directly quoted in the article <laughs> that is about us. <laughs> so I guess I did see this. Thank you so much. <laughs> but it just... <laughs> like, yeah, I got the Google alert. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah. And it's just, it's just so wonderful to have the people in our lives just like 
you know, being so proud and happy and excited for like what we're, what we're doing. So yeah, good people. I think at first they probably thought it was like totally off the wall, crazy. Like you're going to do what? (laughs) But then like seeing it and seeing the excitement and trying the product and yeah, it's really cool. Like everyone's just so excited. We did a, we hosted our first friends and family night last month. And so we had the whole team Mm -hmm. invite in, you know, um, guests from like friends or family or spouses or, you know, kids, what, whoever they wanted to invite. And it was so cool because it was the first time where everyone's families were trying it all together and trying it in these different applications that we served. And I think for like, I don't know, I don't want to speak for our, our team, but I think it was cool for like their parents to see like, oh, this is, this is what you're doing. Like, this is why you're so excited about the business or, you know, they can really now understand like what we're creating and what the future of the food system could really look like. Cause I think like different generations have different opinions when you hear this term alternative protein or alternative seafood. And then I think, you know, trying it, seeing it like kind of understanding and hearing the story and like the impact we're trying to make was this like clicking point for them, this moment of like, oh, I get it. Like now I think people are even more excited. Like our families and friends are even more excited now that they've been able to experience a little bit of it. One thing that I'm wondering, is there a dream person or place or plate where you want your product? Like, is it the White House? I was going to say Queen Elizabeth, but that ship has sailed. But like, who do you want eating your food? Like what, like what headline do you want? Do you want Rihanna eating this? So yes, yes, and yes. So I, I, I say I will know when we made it is when we have the aquafilea fish on McDonald's menu globally. That's the made it moment. Do they even serve that in other countries? Because I feel like that's such an American thing. I don't know, but they should, you know, and we could do it with aqua. They will. They will. <laughs> they can. They must. They will. <laughs> Okay, so that's the great, like McDonald's filet of fish, super awesome. Same thing as the Impossible Burger at Burger King. And then how about an individual that you would crush on eating your your food? So my top three, Leo, Tom Brady, and Lizzo. Ooh, love that. Come on, Ann. You got to have a few. I'm really into trying to get some Nobel laureates on our team. So Ooh. I'm thinking like Michael Kremer. Shout out if he's listening. <laughs> um, Jennifer Doudna, of course, genius woman power. Um, but then also, I've just been really interested in people that can just help us get out there with all the all the impact. So Brittany's got the celebrities to help us with their network and the Nobel laureates to hopefully pull some political favor for us and just get. I don't know. Let's just save the world, guys. Like let's just do it, right? Yeah. I recently spoke with uh, the founder of Ether Diamonds. They It's direct air capture where they grab the air and turn it into beautiful diamonds. And so they get calls from celebrities. Can you put like carbon captured diamonds on me for the Oscars? And so that's why I'm just like that sexiness is what climate tech always needs. And so that's what like now that we have this recorded, we can tag all the people and shout it out and and get get that product placed. I love that. What can the Climate Avengers listeners do for Aqua? How can they support you? I guess one of the best ways, or I guess a couple of the best ways to really help us out and support us would be to checking us out and following us on Instagram and LinkedIn. 
We have very minimal presence on Twitter, but we should grow that. Then, of course, signing up for our newsletter on uh, aquaculturefoods.com, where we do not send things out very often. But when we do, it's really exciting, great stuff, like to be invited to our consumer panels for free tasting events. So we just love to be able to, you know, share support for what we're creating here. Yeah. If there Also, if there's any restaurant owners or chefs or distributors, anyone looking to carry our products or interested in playing around and seeing our products, I would ask that they go to our website and contact us with the form there um, and let us know how to get in touch with them. Thank you for joining me today. This was a great conversation. We got to laugh and dig into all of the nitty gritty of your wonderful company. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amazing. This is great. Thank you for joining me. By gaining this knowledge, you are now a Climate Avenger. As we all know, knowledge is power. So avenge the climate with us. Let's get the word out. Rate, review, subscribe so others can find this podcast. We are new, so every share is even more important. Help us grow and share it with the communities that you're a member of, whether it's climate or investing Slack groups, LinkedIn groups, and if you don't mind, share it with a friend or colleague so they can also join us in avenging the climate, especially if they work in climate, are a climate entrepreneur, or an angel investor. If you are an accredited investor, join our rolling fund and syndicate on AngelList. If you have questions or want to talk with us, email team at climateavengers.com and Kyle or I will respond. Put your money where your values are. Make money and save the world at the same time. Let's get more capital into climate. To find out more about Climate Avengers, head over to resourcelabs.co slash climateavengers and subscribe to stay updated with new episodes and resources. Until next time. Avenge on.